HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Hey everyone, I'm Marissa Ross. And I'm Adam Ravulis, and we're the hosts of Natural Disasters. It's a podcast about natural wine and shit. Every week we're going to be going through the basics, the ins and outs, and the culture around natural wine, and, you know, other shit that we just decided that we kind of want to talk about, but mostly wine. Yeah, I, I mean, have, have you had that friend that uh, has showed up to your house with a bottle of wine and gone, this is natural wine? And you're like, I wish I knew a little bit more about that, and was entertained. Or maybe you're the friend that's like, yo, this is some natty wine, and you just want to learn more about said natty wine. This could be a good podcast for you, too. Or maybe you know everything about wine, and you just want to listen to some really entertaining people drink wine and chit-chat. Yeah, we do a lot of that, too. Yeah. Like, for example, um, I went to a Pusha T show recently. That was really fun. That's pretty amazing. It was great, except I was really looking for Kanye to come out, and then he didn't. And even though, you know, I'm still a little mad at him, but I'm, we don't need to get into We don't into need it. to get into that. Anyways... Wine and shit. Yeah. Join us. Natural Disasters Pod on Heritage. Yes, on Heritage Radio Network. It's the best. We're really excited. (laughs) All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen in isakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is so mystery for many people, and I'll try to demystify this program with my co-guests. My guest today is Elizabeth Ando, who already joined us six times on episodes 18, 61, 83, 99, uh, 108, and 131. And uh, she shared her truly deep insight into traditional Japanese food culture. And Elizabeth is a food writer and Japanese cooking instructor based in Tokyo, and she has lived in Japan for over 50 years. And she runs a culinary arts program called A Taste of Culture, 
which offers a great opportunity for non-Japanese people to explore Japanese culture through its food. So you should check it, check it out if you have a plan to go to Japan. It's called A Taste of Culture. And、uh, Elizabeth is also the author of six cookbooks, including the award-winning Washoku, Recipes from the Japanese Kitchen, and Kibo, Recipes and Stories from Japan's Tohoku, and the Kansha, Celebrating Japan's Vegan and Vegetarian Traditions. And today's topic is really fun. As you may know, we have the new emperor in Japan, and the emperor Akihito formally abdicated, and the crown prince Naruhito was inaugurated as the 126th emperor on May 1st. And as a result, the name of the Japanese era changed to from Heisei to Reiwa. The Japanese era is commonly used along with the Western calendar, and it's really a big deal to start a new era. So, today, Elizabeth will reflect on the major food trends in Japan during the era, the last era, Heisei, which began in 1989 and ended in May after 30 years. So,、uh, before we start, quickly,、uh, Japan is available on the Heritage Video Network website as well as on iTunes and Stitcher as a podcast, and、um, also as a Spotify. And please go to iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify and subscribe to Japanese. And please write a review. I will appreciate your feedback. And if you have any ideas about topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or kikokatema.com. Let's start our conversation with Elizabeth Sandow. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so, so excited about having you again. <laughs> thank you. I, when you read off the numbers, I said, my goodness, it's it, lots, of ch- lots of chances to talk, and I have yet another one today. So、yeah. that's great. Well, we have a lo- more to come, I think. I hope so. Yeah, there's so much、thank、to do. You. You're such a knowledgeable person, so I really appreciate <laughs> you. r e such an asset for us. Thank you. So let's start with the Japanese era. Um, how do Japanese people、uh, react to the, having the new emperor and the setting? Yeah, really amazing. I expected people to get excited, but I didn't think it was going to be quite this big a deal,、mm. and it was huge.、Um, it was combined with a very extended holiday. The Golden Week holidays are usually about a week, maybe.、Um, Eight days at most, if people sort of string them all together. This year it was more than 10 days, depending、mm. upon how you took your time off. And、um, there were a number of events,、uh, lots of excitement around the beginning of a new era, and also a very positive sort of、uh, farewell. Not so much a farewell as、um, in Japan, Gokuro sama, Otsukare sama,、mm. you've done such a good job, you deserve to. Now, rest and,、right. and get a chance to have the rest of your life it, more privately.、Um, it was all a very, very positive、um, and exciting、um, sort of time. I, I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't quite、um, as low keyed、mm. as I had thought it might be. It,、mm. was, it was very prominent. Right. Because the previous、uh, <clears throat> Akihito,、um, Emperor Akihito kind of abdicated, which is very. Unusual, like the first time in 200 years or something. It、right? really was, and there was a great discussion about it. Was this really acceptable and、uh, what was going to happen、um, moving forward with the imperial household and,、right. and who would be next thereafter?、Uh, the current、uh, emperor and empress have a daughter, they don't have a son.、Mm. Um, what's to become of the Japanese imperial line? There was a 
there was quite a bit of um, discussion and speculation, mm. and also about the name of the era. It was very interesting. There were um, private betting circles, if you will, as to what the name of the new era <laughs> was going to be. And uh, lots of people, uh, myself included, um, expected it to start with a K or an R, mm. because there are still people um, alive who were born in the Meiji period, at the turn of the previous century, and that begins with an M. Then came the Taisho period, which starts with a T, mm. and then Showa, S, Heisei, H, and it had to be something <laughs> different. Mm. So um, my bets were on, on something beginning with a K and probably Kofuku, but not at all. So mm. it's Reiwa instead. And um, the connection is to the Manyoshu, which is an ancient uh, anthology of poetry, so it's very indigenous to Japan. Mm -hmm. I think another statement that this is uh, a ritual, a routine that the Japanese take seriously mm. about themselves. It's part of their identity. Right. So mm. what's the meaning of reiwa? Uh, as far as I know, the character re means to decree, to mm. uh, proclaim, and the wa is harmony. So mm. it's an era of harmony has been declared. Right. And so certainly everybody need, hopes yeah. so. Yes, yes. <laughs> More indeed. than any, any, any other time, I think. Right. So, okay. And so let's dive into the Heisei food trends. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, you know, 30 years, there are a lot of interesting. trends. Interesting. Uh, you know, it is interesting. Every culture um, has different sort of markers, kugiri, as to how they're going to break up a long period of time. And um, as far as I can figure out in, in America, it's pretty much by decade. Mm -hmm. um, so here are three decades sort of linked together. And I think they do have a common theme about them. But there are also lots of um, separate little sub-themes mm. through that time period. Um, there are certain foods that uh, became ridiculously popular. And one way of measuring popularity is how long the line is to wait to get mm. in. That's so funny. So whenever I go to Japan, like there is a one spot new right. where people are lining up for hours. Hours, hours, and and you wonder if it's worth it, but people claim it is. They, they want to be one of the first, one of the only. Mm. Um, well, you, just to, you know, um, so I think it's a big difference. Um, sorry, I just interrupted, yeah, no, no. but I think this is important to, um, you know, see how Japanese trend begins. Because in my opinion, in America, there are so many, you know, different diversity of right. uh, ethnicity to regional differences. It's right. the United States anyway. So it's like right. to me the different states kind of, I mean, the country. Right. But in Japan, there's a national broadcasting system and it's right. dominant. So once somebody yeah. will see it, like um, I remember that's uh, the mascarpone cheese. Right. When uh, tiramisu became popular, right. it's like a novel dessert from Italy. And so tiramisu was like, wow, that's amazing. And I wanted right. to try make one. That was a long really? time ago when I was still in Japan. And this all mascarpone cheese was sold out because everybody just wants to make it. Um, it's true. And even more so now with the internet and, mm. and with social media. Um, and overnight, um, something can really take off. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, it's very uh, prone to trends. Mm. Um, I think sometimes it's harder for people to um, develop a long-term 
project. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's very easy to catch the attention. If you get the right media coverage, you're going to get mm. a lot of people lining up at your door. Clearly, if, if the food isn't good or the product that you're offering isn't worth it, mm. it's unlikely people will come back for more. Right. But um, the Japanese are very brand conscious mm. and very um, status conscious. Right. That's funny you said that because uh, the I look looked up why the tiramisu became right. so popular, and that uh, it's a magazine and that time was really popular magazine Hanako. Yes, Hanako featured as a must dessert for cool modern women. But of course, <laughs> and that's why I mean, so everybody everybody had to do it, and um, today there are a number of. Um, Blogs and um, surveys. I had sent you links to a couple of them um, in the Japanese media mm. that had rankings and right. and the idea of ranking popularity of food. Do do American journalists do that? I you know, well, t- it's not well. You could see it, yeah, but um, doesn't capture uh, clear popularity that people would agree on. Yeah, and also the the. Um, the thing by which they measure it, so this gyoretsu uh, gourmet, mm-hmm. this this long line mm-hmm. gourmet, to measure how what percentage of the population would be willing to stand in line for an hour or more mm-hmm. to try it, is sort of an interesting um, marker. Right. <laughs> so let's talk about some of those yeah. um, the items uh, that people line up for. Well, on, on the top of the list, but it was early on, because it was 19, um, 1989 was the year that was given for ramen and skemen. Mm. Um, and um, I was so sort of surprised at how early it had taken on. There are still lots of ramen shops that have lines around the block. Mm. Um, and um, pancakes, and I understand that a fluffy pancake has right. just come to New York. Yeah. Can you just stay with the ramen for a second? Because that was a bubble economy, right? Yes. So it's really like everybody's going out, dining out. And I heard there's so many different kinds of new ramen shops to attract those people. Yes. Uh, Again, I think the Japanese really like to be on top of the latest trend Mm. and to be able to say that they've been there, they've done it, and and talk to others. It has a lot of... um, Social power, right. I, I think, within within any particular group. Right. So that sounds some similar to New Yorkers, right? <laughs> no, so, I I don't know. I it's it's um, I guess maybe, but um, the Japanese are really into um, limited opportunities, but they've grabbed it. it, it in Japan, very often. Um, people are able to say there's only 50 of these available every day and Mm. people will line up to buy them. Whereas I'm not sure that Americans would say, well, so I don't get it. What big deal? Mm. Um, I'm not sure that people would feel um, deprived of an opportunity to be special. The scarcity. Right. The scarcity of something actually adds value in Japan rather than here. I have a feeling most people just figure it's not Mm. worth it. I don't know. So it's possible that this, um, you know, lines around the corner um, measurement of popularity has mm. to do with only a few people can have it. Right. And are you going to be one of those few? Right. Yeah. Well, I remember still like cronuts, uh, Dominican yeah. style, you right. know, the special dessert. And uh, I had a sense 
in Japan, like, people tend to line up in different places, but it's, it's like um, there's no specific group of people who doesn't who don't mind lining up. But in Japan, oh, right. let's just get it. And yeah. it's such a gift culture too. Right. If you line up, share it with my friends. The yes. kind of mindset is still there too. Yeah, it, it, it's it's quite different. But um, I think ramen is probably here to stay. Mm. Um, I don't know that the wild variety of different uh, soup stocks and uh, toppings and um, that will continue to you know excite the imagination of of, of chefs. Um, I have a feeling that a few will probably become very popular and stay around for a very long time. Mm, um, right. Well, that's a, um, another common thing between, I think, New Yorkers and, you know, Japanese people in general, pretty mm. open-minded. They're looking for something new. Yes. Right. Yeah. But sorry that I interrupted no, you. No, so no, 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 The pancake. <laughs> yeah, so pancakes. What interested me was apparently somebody sent me a, a review of a Japanese place that opened recently in New York, the mm. big fluffy pancakes. Um, and I was sort of surprised. It's sort of returning back to where it, it came from because certainly pancakes are not part of the traditional Japanese food culture, um, but one that, that people enjoy. And probably because of um, texture. The mm. Japanese are very big into the texture of the mouthfeel of right. food. It's and a big deal in Japan. It's, it's a very big deal. Uh, as important, I think, as taste. Mm. And... Um, so a pancake that is fluffy, um, sort of almost like a souffle, uh, sort of captured, I think, the imagination and the taste buds of, of people. And um, so now we'll see whether New York really catches on or, or mm. not to the same. Um, right. I think that the, you know, that time, uh, 2014, I think. Right. So around that time, the American, you know, pancake brands, went to Japan and it's kind of like media attention yes really abundant yeah, yeah. so that's uh. um, media does drive a lot but I think that one of the um, the values of the internet and social media is that almost anybody could really do their own promotion and mm. really try to get the attention it doesn't have to be an already organized right. uh, large publishing organization it's both good and bad because mm. nobody's really monitoring it but right. um, it does give an opportunity to people to present new ideas mm. new possibilities right. out there mm. um, one thing I noticed so I had originally guessed yeah. um, uh, from egg owner oh. yeah uh, George Welt talked about his experience. He brought right. egg, invited by you know business partner in Japan. And I I did research, and all the media coverage is very friendly. I think in general, yeah. Japanese media tend to be less critical. Try yes. to see good side, and if it's good, people try it and accept. And restaurants live longer, like twenty, thirty years is not uncommon. Right. I th I think that um, yes, uh, saying something positive, meaning it's going to be valuable to the person who's listening to it, rather than complaining, mm. is is the general style or tone of Japanese food journalism. Right. Um, there are critical voices, but um, only if it's going to be helpful. Mm. Right. It, it's not personal complaining. Mm. Right. So. 
I think uh, here in New York, for instance, opening after three months of opening, right. it's all the media comes and you are judged. Yes. Leave all that, that's right. So I don't think in Japan that's more gradual. I, I'm, I'm not as familiar with the latest openings. I haven't really been following them all that much, but、um, I suspect that there's a bit of the same.、Mm. But in general, people are looking for something good,、mm. and they'll try to find something worth saying、right. if they're going to, especially an established publication, because it's very limited space,、mm. and they don't feel that it's worth spending that space. On critical reviews that don't do anybody any good. Just knowing that the person who went for the meal didn't enjoy it is、mm. not. Right. Yeah, so why not, bother? <laughs> why bother to take up the space of the publication? Right. Know? Yeah, that's why、uh, Japanese food guidebooks, I, even if I don't go, sometimes I just bite. Oh my God,、yeah. I dream about going to this place <laughs> and that place. So, anyway, so、yeah. what's the next trend you want to feature?、Um, Well,、so、there, were, there were lots of them. One of the ones that sort of interested me was the、uh, Sanuki udon.、Mm. My first Japan experience was in the Sanuki region on the island of Shikoku. And another sort of popular,、um, certainly in terms of food TV, are there、um, food tours that are shown? I, whenever I come, I turn on the TV here, but I, I haven't seen the kind of show that's very popular in Japan. Where、um, literally you go to a region and you eat that region.、Mm, it's like Anthony Bourdain, Japanese version. Yeah. Kind of. Maybe, except it's not personality dominated、oh, right, as right, much. Right. It's, it's more like tour guide. Yeah, it really is a, a more neutral, it's, it's less through the, a personal lens of,、mm, a, of a journalist、right. than it is through、um, a publication or a.、Uh, TV studio that has done some research.、Mm. They, they find who they think is going to be the right narrator for the, the piece. Right. And they,、um, they try to eat every variety of that particular food.、Mm. Um, and that was, I think, part of what launched the,、uh, the udon craze、mm-hmm. um, in Japan. And the year that, that this particular ranking gave was 1998. So, sort of.、Mm, The turn into this century. Right.、Um, and one thing I heard about this the, the beginning, Kaga i s in the Shikoku, Kaga、right. Prefecture, and the Sanuki is、uh, the area. If you think of, you know, if you think of pizza, it's Italy.、Uh, it's a kind of a wooden equivalent, if you、sort、say. Of, yeah. yeah. So、um, the, there is an editor of、right. a local magazine who came up with, oh, let's just do. It's happy. He didn't really try to promote it. That's what、mm. I heard. But he came up with it. It's really fun to write a guidebook so that you can have a guide, you can walk around and then eat udon、yeah. in that area.、Right. So I heard that was the beginning of the There's、udon. also a pilgrimage in Shikoku.、Mm. And、um, many people refer to this as the noodle pilgrimage. <laughs> and people would go from one stop to another. And indeed, there were lots of noodle shops that、mm, were. There's、near. no hardship. No, no. I, any place <laughs> you stop, you're going to find、uh, udon noodles. And they're typically rather、mm, casual. Mom and pop kind of operations.、Mm. Right.、Um, and there's the basic noodles, and then 
the broth and the toppings. And um, so the notion of, of going on a, a noodle pilgrimage was mm. was played up at right. the time. So I'm sure that um, Sanuki Udon yeah. pilgrimage pilgrimage kind of applied to other regions, yes. which I think is a good thing. Yeah, I think so too mm. um, for all of that. And then a lot of things that I think were not uh, you know, originally in Japan um, uh, things like uh, popcorn or um, mm. Yeah, I heard of popcorn that was like 2016 Yeah, I think there are, again American popcorn brands went into Japan and yeah. inspired in, in my mind, but I guess I'm dating myself, popcorn is when you go to the movies. <laughs> and, um, you know, nobody was going to movie theaters anymore. Certainly right. there, I mean, there are movie theaters still in Japan, but it's a very different sort of dynamic. Um, and the whole notion that popcorn would be something that you would eat when you weren't at the movie theater mm. sort of right. was, was unusual to me. But, again, it, the Japanese love to... Um, Take something and make it theirs, right. put their own imprint on it. Mm. Mm. I think it's more of a mirroring American culture and high-end popcorn from Chicago, something like that. Right. It's like, oh, that's something new. Yeah. Right. The other thing I wanted to ask, uh, you know, kakigori. Yeah. Yes. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so that became popular in 2017. Well, it's very old-fashioned. I forget the exact date, but I'm going to say it was Meiji mm. um, when that machine, it's now a very old-fashioned machine, but depending upon how you cut ice, mm-hmm. the texture really changes. Oh, so can you maybe define what kakigori is? For well, sorry, it's shaved ice, and I think lots of cultures have shaved ice, but um, how the ice is frozen and how it's shaved, the angle at which the blade hits the ice, mm. really does change the texture. And right. again, the Japanese are very into texture to mouthfeel. Mm. And um, there are some uh, kakigori establishments that have very fluffy right. um, ice. It almost uh, is like almost like cotton candy. Right. So, so it's not like Italian ice. It's like, no. you know, cotton, it's made to order. Right. Right. No, no, each time you go and it's put in a machine and the, right. the block of ice. And also the way in which the water is frozen, so there's no air bubbles in there, there's no mm. impurities It's like in a cocktail there. ice, expensive cocktail ice. Um, it's, not, <laughs> it's, it's not cheap, but it's certainly, it's certainly worth it. Um, and um, I'm a traditionalist. I, I like um, uh, kintoki, which is the... Uh, sweet beans mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, matcha. So I'm a... Right. Yeah. It's, I think every kid uh, grew up in Japan has yeah. a memory of kakigori. It's a really hot and humid mm-hmm. and uh, So can I interrupt? How do you eat it? Because there are also different ways of eating it so that it doesn't all collapse on you. Right. It's like a, you know, nice, uh, I think... Um, do you go from Stainless, inside? you know, yeah. this cold glass or, you know, the, the big cup right. shaped and shaped on top. And then you pick very chemical and sugary syrup. Right. Shocking green or shocking pink. And I used to love that strawberry flavored chemical. (laughs) That's kids, right? Right. And uh, so you, I um, broke from the top. Wow. And it didn't all collapse on you? That was the the thrill. Huh. Yeah. I think I was eating with my brother. He doesn't care. I'm more like. (laughs) concocting, you know, right. the shape of it. I used to pick from the bottom 
Mm. because then it would sort of collapse on itself. And it was interesting um, in, in the summertime if you watched other people eating at the same time mm. and, and who would start on the top and who would start at the bottom. And other people would sort of pick on the side, turn the, the glass around <laughs> and then go at it as well. But um, it's, it's one way to survive a Japanese summer, mm. the hot, sticky right. weather. Um, so it's, I think it's always been popular, but it was particularly um, focused on, and I don't know if it was Hanako or another women's magazine that had done a piece mm. on kakigori. I, I think it's a good thing because it's yeah. such a culturally, deeply rooted, yeah, <laughs> simple so food. Yeah. Right. Okay. And by the way, there's a, a new kakigori shop in Where? New York. Um, I, I'm going to have a guest. Hot. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to have a guest uh, this summer. So I'll do. I'll keep you posted. Good, good. <laughs> I have to listen to that one. Right. Great. So, okay. and I think there's a beer garden. Yes. Um, again, hot, sticky summers, and the Japanese uh, like to go out for a drink with their colleagues. I mean, that's true in large urban right. centers like New York here, too. Mm-hmm. But it was recent, like in 2017. So what's behind it, do you think? Well, I think there always were these places, um, uh, certain specials, um, combinations of uh, beer snacks and different kinds of beer, and especially jibiru, uh, the local craft craft beers. Um, And again, I think they always existed, but the the attention was not focused on them. Mm. And... um, Instagram also changed um, the nature of uh, Mm. information transfer in Japan. The Japanese are also very visual. Texture is big, but so is visual images. And um, people, um, as a matter of fact, when Instagram first became sort of popular in Japan, Instabai, it was referred to as the new itadakimasu. So before you would start to eat, instead mm. <laughs> of saying, I'm about to receive and thank you for this great what food, people would take a picture first. Mm. I mean, you were always taught when you were growing up to say itadakimasu before you start to eat. Right. But even before then, you have to take the picture mm. and then load, upload it and then you could Say right. and go ahead and eat something. Yeah, there's always a positive and negative comments about you know taking pictures of food, but I think uh, a lot of restaurants started to you know, promote it because it's a good. It, it really is. It's a way of getting um, a, a buzz, people to talk about something and to be curious right. uh, about it. Yeah. Yeah. Then we learn something good. Yes. So I think I'm. I'm supporting that trend. <laughs> good. Right. Any other trend? Um. In terms of um, TV, one of my um, favorite shows is something called Sarameshi. And the original meaning of it was a salary man and the lunchtime of salaried workers. Um, but it, beyond its first pilot projects, which I think were about six months. There were a series of programs that had been made, and they were waiting to see whether it would be well-received or not. And -hmm. it was very well-received. And um, they've expanded and done um, programs beyond the noontime hour and really primetime television. Mm -hmm. So so basically, it's a 
featuring it's a national TV program and featuring um, Salimans lunch. Sort of. They have um, they have a great research staff, and they have a few narrators who are personalities, people that are are known to the Japanese viewer public. Um, but they choose interesting places to discover. So it could be um, a, a crafts person's workshop, and what do they do for lunch? Mm. And they go in, and, and you see how they're working, you learn about their work, when they take a break, whether they take it together, mm. whether somebody makes the food for other people, how right. they share it. So it's very much more than, you know, what does somebody who... Um, makes a, a an artisan knife mm, eat for lunch right. um, it's that too but it's also about it's it's more about the culture of people right. and how food uh, helps to connect them they've gone into small businesses where the um the president of the business actually uh once a week makes lunch for everybody mm. who works there um right. so it's basically um capturing lifestyle through lunch through lunch, and, and it's, it's a, um, a behind-the-scenes view, the, the sort of the, the view that you didn't expect to see. Mm. Um, uh, interesting. Which, uh, which uh, TV station? I knew you were going to ask. I think it's six. It might be the eight. TV. I'll, okay. I'll make sure I, I check it up. Okay, so the name is Sadameshi. But Sadameshi, right. yeah. But it's interesting. Whenever we go to Japan and then, you know, turn on the, the TV, right. there's so many food programs. Right. And it's, it's, again, it's about the lifestyle. It's not just who's making it and the tradition and I, how it's enjoyed, all those It's whole. very much in context. It's, it's understanding why these people mm. are eating this food and who made it and what went into it. Um, and I think people really enjoy understanding it in the context in which it was presented. At the other end of the spectrum of food TV, here in America, there seem to be lots of um, contests and almost humiliating contests. Mm. Um, in Japan, making fun of people is sort of in a different light. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, there's a lot of that. And there's this one program where they stop um, young people in very heavily trafficked areas like Shibuya Station or someplace, and ask them to make something that's pretty ordinary. Right. And they have out on the table all sorts of ingredients that absolutely don't belong there. Mm. And um, inevitably they'll stop someone, very often a young woman who's with her boyfriend, and they'll ask the young woman to make, um, oh, I don't know, gyoza. Mm. And... Um, then the boyfriend has to eat it afterwards and comment on uh, it. So that they cook on the street? They cook on the street on a <laughs> burner. And um, if it's a traditional food, very often they get on their cell phone and call their grandmother <laughs> and ask, you know, how do you make it? <laughs> and the whole idea is sort of making fun of the fact that young people don't really pay attention to how the food is made that they mm. eat. These are things that they eat all the time and they never really give any thought to how it's made. Um, and then the show finally um, also shows a professional making that food in a professional mm. way. So actually teaching Teaching as well. Properly. But the real fun of it is sort of seeing what a botched mess <laughs> these right. kids will make of, mm. of the food. Um, and people... 
but it, it's in a good-hearted spirit. It's not particularly mean. Mm. Um, and there are still the food contests, eating contests. Mm. What's the name of that uh, program that you cook on the um, street? Wasano Tokyo Magazine. Okay, Wasano Tokyo Magazine. Magazine. Mm. And um, they obviously have to get permission to be able to set up a, a reasonable cooking uh, mm. station right. uh, out in public, but they do, and it's... Uh, It's it's interesting, right? And of course, there is a you know an Iron Chef, original Iron Chef, that was yes. broadcast from nineteen ninety three to nineteen ninety eight, right? And eventually was sold to Food Network here. Yes. So that really inspired a lot of young chefs now. So I I think so. When it first came on in Japan, there were a group of pre- people in the profession who were almost offended that this notion of um, Making a full meal out of a single ingredient would be made sort of fun of. Mm-hmm. That it would be made into a contest of right. some sort, rather than respecting respecting the food. Um, but I think the food is entertainment. It was so entertaining. Mm. It was so um, people taking themselves too seriously. Right, because it used to be always cooking program tend to be very serious classroom style. Yes. So yes. that made uh, food as entertainment, inviting men and kids and everybody. Yes, so. and, and certainly the popularity of those original um, Iron Chef um, characterized a lot of Japanese food culture for a very, very long time. Right. Yeah. Okay, so we have a lot more to discuss, but I will take a quick break. So when I come back, we'll continue more Thank trends. Okay. So please stay with, with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and the wireless natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit coin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs Podcast live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Aki Katema, and my guest today is Elizabeth Sando, a food writer and cookbook author and Japanese cooking instructor based in Tokyo. So let's talk more about uh, some other trends. So one thing I heard is that um, in 1999 to 2001, um, there is a little boom to right. eat uncooked, like raw chocolate, right. raw camel. What is it about? Well, the Japanese have always eaten raw eggs. And <laughs> um, I think, again, it's a, a texture thing. And that um, unexpected... Um, very s- intense flavor 
mm. and accompanied by something that you can almost swallow rather than chew. Mm. I mean, the caramels were chewy, but um, very soft, very um, smooth, and very intense mm. in flavor. Right. I think it was the intensity that was sort of caught people's okay. attention. Right, yeah. and also it's uh, raw means there's no preservative, and you have to have a higher, you know, high quality ingredients. Yes, the kind of exclusive idea also. Um, yes, and and um, I don't know that all of them were artisanally made rather than mass produced, but I'm going to presume that they were certainly small lot mass production. I, it could not have been. You could not have turned out those products in a very large factory. Mm. Right. Um, they would have to have been given greater personal attention right. in making them. Yeah, yeah. And I heard that the origin of this uh, royal caramel and royal chocolate. There's a farm called Hanabatake Farm, right? And their ingredients enabled that fresh flavor. So I think that makes sense. Like, oh, well, that's fresh and more exclusive. Yeah. And again, in- ingredient-driven and um, uh, effort. At the Japanese have always felt that results are important, but effort is probably more important. Mm-hmm. And trying hard and really working hard and producing something that's um, special is uh, recognized and valued. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, not always is, does that equate with commercial success, but in the case of uh, namak caramel and chocolate it certainly did mm. um, interesting yeah. so um, another thing I found is really interesting mm. is uh, around 2009 2010 there's yeah. a term sosokudan meaning vegetarian right male right and uh, so this was like you know uh, it changed the image of man has to be strong and never cry doesn't do anything girly it's, it's that very um, positive term for those activities for men? It's interesting because in my mind, one of the first things I, I recognized back in the 60s in Japan was that men do cry. Mm. <laughs> Japanese men cry. And it's not necessarily... Um, it depends on the circumstances, but it doesn't necessarily show weakness per right. se. Well, but, but, but I think that aspect is not showing weakness. It's more like, you know... Purely um, loyal to Sym- something and, and like sympathy, right. or yes. So, but what was also very obvious to me was the gender specificity of Japan mm. that um, many things were defined by gender. Men mm. like this, men do this, women <laughs> like this, Even women worse do than this. <laughs> um, very much so. And in terms of food, women were expected to like sweets. And men to like spicy, bold flavors and saltier things. And um, men were not supposed to like vegetables. They mm. were supposed to like meat, fish, right. things of that sort. And so I think what really happened here was sort of a rethinking of it mm. and recognizing that um, it was almost a genderless kind of cuisine right. that it didn't really have to be defined by men or by women per se mm. um, and there are some people who speculated I, I don't know that 
there's any place you could get a definitive answer, um, that part of the Valentine's chocolate story in Japan, which is a bit of the reverse, meaning that women give chocolate to men mm. for Valentine's, right. um, was because the chocolate industry wanted to expand the people who actually, because it had been thought of as being sweets as something that only women would eat. Mm. Um, and so this way they could get men to like it too. I don't know that it's really true, well. but I, I'm not sure that um, that food really did have a gender identity to begin with, mm. but right. certainly this this extra little movement pushed it away from that, made it almost genderless. Uh, mm. Women could go into yakiniku uh, and steak restaurants right. and enjoy meat right. and uh, bold flavors. And um, men could go to some of the tabehodai, the all-you-can-eat kinds of sweets restaurants. Mm. And right. nobody would think anything of it. Yeah. That's a good trend. It's uh, healthier. <laughs> right. And one thing I heard um, about what's what's in the background of this whole, right. you know, social kudanshi trend, is that uh, you know, convenience stores, you you don't have to say who you are. Is go hop in, hop out within right. a minute. You can buy whatever you want to do, or you want to buy. So Lawson, that's uh, one of the biggest convenience yes. store chains, uh, launched premium premium roll cake. Right. And. So 2009, they did it. They once uh, started selling that premium roll cake. Even the men, sweet lovers, they can right. buy it. So that was a hit. And other convenience stores followed. And you can buy anything you want in convenience stores. Yes. That's the secret. And it's, we rely on, it's not the 7-Eleven here. Convenience store is your favorite bodega, supermarket. So, But I think, I, I, again, I don't have the statistics, but I think that food is a large, a huge portion of the income from any convenience store mm, in Japan. Right. Um, there are other products for sale and other services. Increasingly, there are services available at convenience stores. Mm, you can pay uh, a gas bill or whatever. Yes, <laughs> you can pay bills. You can um, uh, postal services. Um, you know, sending packages, things of that sort right. uh, can be done at convenience stores. But food is the main mm. thing that they're selling. Right. And they are very definitely responsible for a lot of the trends right. that you see. In, and in the quality food. of food at convenience stores. I, I often talk about how convenience store in Japan is a wonderful in the show, but it's really, you know, becoming even more sophisticated too. Yes. So yeah. it's kind of like food trend maybe sometimes inspired by convenience stores. That's my guess. But you're right. It's anonymous. Nobody knows who you are, and they don't have a chance to either comment or have an opinion about what you're buying. Right. You know, you line up, you you, you pick it out, you pay for it, and then you take it home. Right. So. And whenever I go to Japan, uh, I go to con convenience stores. There's a new, exciting items promoted Always. in the store. Always. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so... Um, the other thing is I heard is um, uh, the people tend to started to eat more meat. Yes. So is that because of a low carb trend? I'm I'm not sure. I I, th I think that it may also be um, more convenient. Um, a, a lot of uh, younger people, in particular, have trouble eating fish properly. Mm. Um, whether it's eating whole fish and, and knowing how to pick it off the bones. Oh. And, 
it, it, it's more problematic. Most meat that is um, cooked and eaten, it's very straightforward. It doesn't require any skill on the mm. part of the person who's eating it to actually uh, cut it up and, and, and eat it. Um, and I think that that may have contributed somewhat to the popularity of, of, of meat. Um, definitely chopsticks are a skill that everybody in Japan has, but uh, increasingly you're finding people getting away from mm. chopstick eating right. and knife and fork mm. as well. Too bad. There's so many beautiful chopsticks. But <laughs> and I can't eat salad with a knife and uh, with a fork. I, mm. I, I always ask for chopsticks. Right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, also, um, there is a aged meat trend in yes. Japan. Yes. Found like 2013. Probably it was inspired by, you know, the steak, uh, aged, aged beef kind of influence from America. But yeah, it's it's amazing that Japanese people never eat beef or meat. Now it's becoming more. I, I, I think so. Uh, definitely also a, away from um, a rice or grain-based eating, which may or may not be such a good thing. I mean, depending on who you're talking to and what they, they think of that particular dietary pattern. Um, but very definitely there's uh, a distancing from the, the previous generations mm. um, where it was very grain-based. Right. Uh, rice noodles. Mm. And, and then you had a little bit of meat with that. Right. So again, that's maybe what the internet, people have different kinds of diet influenced globally by low-carb to vegetarian, vegan. Right. right. But at the same time, to some extent, there are more products now that are um, reduced sodium, reduced sugar. Um, people are more aware of the intake of, of particularly... Mm. Um, salt and sugar right. um, and that's trying to create alternative products mm. that have less that's great right because mm. I think uh, people Japanese people tend to have more issues with uh, high blood pressure because tend to be more saltier food pickles and stuff so right. yeah alright so um, so we discussed a lot of stuff so personally <laughs> on reflection how do you feel about the Heisei era about the food um Interesting and expansive. Um, I never expected um, as much variety <clears throat> as actually was displayed. Again, it's, it's a long period of time and a lot of things happened. But there were also a number of natural disasters, really large natural disasters mm -hmm. through the Heisei period. And this return to comfort foods, things that were ultimately mm. familiar. And so you saw a lot of very trendy things happening. Um, 95 was the big quake down in the Kansai, centered right. around Kobe, and 2011 was a big quake up in the Tohoku. Mm -hmm. um, those were the two very big sort of anchors around uh, many returns to very um, comfort, simple uncomplicated mm. uh, food that people could share easily. Right, right. to share. That's yeah. a really important element. Yeah. yeah, I remember after 9-11 here in New York, it was the same. Yeah, all those expensive, you know, fancier places are gone, and everybody wants to share comfort food. Yeah, and something that was going to be, um, had a good memory attached to it, mm. something that would they would find strength to move forward, right. um, rather than 
worry about future trends. It was everybody was very focused on um, supporting, mm. um, getting back to normal right. uh, for that. So I sort of see the that sort of 30-year period as a series of waves back and forth mm. um, between very exciting, very new, very challenging right. um, uh, things and very home-style, very sort of low-keyed mm. right. private comfort food. So sounds yeah. like, um, I think it's a good time, good era. Very. Right. Yeah. And um, Dewa should be a wonderful decree of harmony. And we'll see what that turns out to be. Right. And probably, um, you know, again, over the internet, we get more interesting food. Yes. And also I think, you know, this show exists because Japanese traditional food has a value. So I'm this so can glad. be... Yeah, yeah, so I think the tradition should explore and progress to prosper. Yes. Father. So that's I another so. thing. Right. Um, so this is my last question. So um, by looking at what we discussed, what do you think is unique about Japanese society and the people's lifestyle that creates the food trends? I don't know that it's unique, meaning that they're the only people who do this, but I do think it's um, indicative, very um, specific to Japan. Um, people value effort and quality, and uh, that's not to say that uh, finding it less costly someplace is not a cause for celebration, but they value um, effort that goes into making good products, and I think that that augurs well for the future. Mm. And they're very innovative, um, uh, very creative in terms of thinking of new ways, new solutions, if, if there's a, a, a problem, um, and new products just for the sake of um, fun. Mm. There's a lot of whimsy and fun in Japanese right. food as well. Mm. People talk about square watermelons, and why bother with that? Because <laughs> it's, a fun, it's a fun thing to imagine. There's, right. there's a lot of food that um, is not serious, right. and I think that that's important that people don't take themselves too seriously as well. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's just funny that, you know, the classic Pocky right. that used to be small, but like a giant Pocky, that's one example. Right. And the shaved dice, what's the better texture? It's classic. Yes. Food. So never ending pursuit of perfection. <laughs> yeah. And and people being willing to um, to try hard and, and to keep at it. Right. Um, so let's see what's going to happen in this new era. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. <laughs> okay, so uh, so where can uh, listeners find you online? Uh, tasteofculture.com is probably the best first stop. And on the homepage, you'll find links to other things that um, I'm doing. Mm. Uh, and uh, tomorrow night, but I think it's sold out, I'm talking for the culinary historians of New York, uh, a group, and going to be talking actually about aesthetics uh, in Japanese mm. food, presenting food and arranging it. Um, That's a very important point of Japanese food. Yeah, mm. indeed. Uh, we, we spoke a bit about one of those other sessions back right. there. So I, I don't know if anything is still available, but culinary historians of New York, you could look them up online, and um, if they are, I hope to see you tomorrow night. Right. That's a beautiful space. Uh, yes, Globus it's Globus Washington. It's, it's right. really spectacular. Right. 
Okay, so uh, I'm sure you're going to have you here sometime soon. I'll so to come back again. Hey, thank you. Please. So thank you for joining us today. Stop Thanks back. so much. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for question, uh, suggestions for guests or topics of the show, uh, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org. And Japan is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer today is Matt Patterson, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family and become a member. Thanks for listening. <laughs>